when it comes to a fight between Chocolatito and Estrada, I think Chocolatito has the advantage in terms of style. Uh, but also, it's going to be the culmination of what I think is a long trajectory that saw the super flyweights go into another level in terms of popularity and attention. That first fight was in 2012. Uh, we were talking before you and I uh, about what network it was on. It was something on Wealth TV that's now AEG TV. I mean, it didn't really have a big TV platform in the United States. It was on Azteca TV uh, in Mexico, and it was at the sports arena in Los Angeles. And it wasn't even the main event. Brian Valoria was the main event in that fight so the, of the Chocolatito versus Estrada first fight. And a few years later, uh, because of guys like Tom Loeffler and the HBO dates that they were getting, they started to give more attention to the super flyweights and the flyweights with those flyweight cars featuring the four kings of that division, Cuadras, Brunvisay, Estrada, and Chocolatito, really in 2015, 2016, 2017. And of course, by fighting on those Triple G undercards, the super flyweight started getting uh, a lot of attention as well. And it almost culminated in a kind of performance where you have the big rematch in front of a big crowd uh, and finding them getting that payoff with these two stars fighting each other. But it took place during the pandemic. So it was really restricted. It took place in March in 2021, the rematch. Estrada won the fight. Chocolatito felt that he won. But it didn't have that, 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 that kind of, um, it didn't have that cherry on top of it being in front of a large crowd with a big TV platform, but now it will. It'll be on a matchroom card, a big platform on the zone. It's one of the biggest cards that to end the year, and it'll finally be in front of a huge crowd because, um, because it's no longer taking place during the confines of the shutdowns of the pandemic. So I think it's a culmination, not only of their trilogy, but of a long history of the super flyweights not getting a lot of attention in 2012, but slowly, little by little, getting that big attention, getting the P big TV dates, and large crowds. Welcome back to the RBR Recap, episode 29. It is Monday, September 5, Labor Day weekend. I'm Alex Burgos, joined as always by my man, Gabe Brevis. Gabe, how are you, sir, on this holiday Monday? I'm fine. I think I got some allergies, but I'm okay. It's Labor Day, but we stay working, man. Yeah, stay working. Yeah, and we had some fights, man. They were working on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, we're going to kick things off with Juan Francisco Estrada, the return after 18 months out of the ring, um, you know, after his big victory over uh, Chocolatito Gonzalez in their second fight, a fight that many thought could have gone the other way, uh, myself included. But regardless, he got the official victory. And uh, since then, we haven't seen him. I think he got COVID, might have been injured here and, here and there. There were things that happened to him uh, outside of the ring. And so he returned against Argy Cortez. And it was supposed to be a fight, you know, a homecoming fight for Estrada to kind of, you know, probably work out the ring rust and then set up a trilogy with Chocolatito Gonzalez. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, Estrada did get the victory by unanimous decision over Cortez, but there were spots, especially at the beginning, um, where you thought, okay, this might be tougher, you know, than what we expected. Cortez had his moments. He was dropped by a well-placed, vicious body shot by Estrada as he started to kind of get rolling in the middle to later rounds, uh, round seven, I think it was. And then, that kind of the lingering effects allowed Estrada to really take it home, but he did get, you know, hit cleanly. Uh, again, I said 18 months out of the ring, probably working off some of that ring rust, but I'm sure Chocolatito was at home, you know, 
salivating like yeah i'm ready for this trilogy because for as well as you know he was kind of written off going into that second fight against estrada but you know we've seen what he's done lately and he's looked as good as ever so i'm sure he's he can't wait to get back in and you know we have an official date now december 3 uh for that trilogy fight that's going to be super exciting but let's talk a little bit about uh what estrada did against cortez gabe what did you think and, and how estrada looked estrada was coming off a long layoff and it really looked like it he, there were, he was getting hit a lot. Uh, he did manage to land a body shot that weakened him, and that was a, ended up being a very fruitful investment because it slowed him down and allowed him to work. He did have the hometown advantage, and that may have worked in his favor. There was also the issue of open scoring, um, and that perhaps works in your favor as well because you know what you need to do in the later rounds because I think during the eighth round they made an announcement about how the sc scorecards looked at the time, uh, and perhaps it allowed him to tighten up and finish strong Although some of those later rounds, I think Cortez won because of his activity. But uh, Estrada did look like he was coming, that like this was a tune-up fight to make sure that he was in shape, that he could do 12 rounds for a Chocolatito fight. He almost lost his fight. It was a close call, and that's the danger in taking a tune-up fight before a big fight. But you can see that he really needed it because in order to fight someone like Chocolatito, you have to be in perfect shape to deal with the pace that he fights at. So uh, he didn't look the best, but it was a tune-up fight that he needed in order to have this Chocolatito fight in December. Yeah, and I mean, do you think that we can't really invest too much you know, attention and we can't really take too much out of this fight just because of the long, long layoff? I mean, because if you think, what have you done for me lately? It's like, like I said previously, Chocolatito has looked great. Estrada, eh, but also that long layoff. So, you know, who would you favor going into that, that trilogy fight in December? I would favor Chocolatito going into the trilogy fight because he's looked so good recently. He has been more active, whereas Estrada was coming off a lay long layoff before this fight. And as you mentioned, what have you done recently with Chocolatito? He's had a career resurgence and he's looked really great. Uh, he looked really great in his fight against uh, Martinez. And I think he was the one who really wanted to do the trilogy fight ASAP, whereas with Estrada, I think he wanted to do this tune-out fight to make sure uh, he was prepared. Uh, but I, going into the fight, I, I would have Chocolatito because of his style, because of his activity, because he's looked good really, uh, he's looked good recently. And with Estrada, he does have the youth advantage. He's like two or three years younger. That's going to help him in the fight. Um, but I would go, it, going into this fight, I would have Chocolatito as a favorite. Yeah, I agree. And it's interesting because stylistically, you would think like a guy that fights like Chocolatito being older as well, you would maybe think there's more wear and tear on him. But yeah, like you mentioned, uh, he's looked great as of late. And I really thought Chocolatito won the second fight. And who knows, maybe that took a little bit more out of Gallo than it did out of Chocolatito. Um, it was kind of like another day at the office for Chocolatito. And, you know, Estrada uh, took a lot of punches as the Chocolatito in that fight. But, you know, different guys react different ways. And so um, I think definitely with that long layoff, he needed this tune-up, uh, this get-back fight and getting his bearings back in the ring. But again, I, I would favor Chocolatito in what should be, uh, you know, we expect to be another great fight. And it's a question of styles, right? Because um, Estrada ended up being Surumbisai in their rematch, whereas with Chocolatito, he lost badly, especially in the rematch, but he lost both fights against Rumbisai because of the style. Rumbisai seemed to um, punch uh, in between Chocolatito's punches, whereas Chocolatito likes the guy to throw his punches and stop so that he can counter. And I think that we saw that Estrada is still open to counters after he finishes punching. That's how Cortez was able to land some shots on him. So I think the question of styles is going to be a factor. 
I think uh, Chocolatito, when it comes to a fight between Chocolatito and Estrada, I think Chocolatito has the advantage uh, in terms of style. Uh, but also, it's going to be the culmination of what I think is a long trajectory that saw the super flyweights go into another level in terms of popularity and attention. That first fight was in 2012. Uh, we were talking before you and I uh, about what network it was on. It was something on Wealth TV that's now AEG TV. I mean, it didn't really have a big TV platform in the United States. It was on Azteca TV uh, in Mexico, and it was at the sports arena in Los Angeles. And it wasn't even the main event. Brian Valoria was the main event in that fight of the Chocolatito versus Estrada first fight. And a few years later, uh, because of guys like Tom Loeffler and the HBO dates that they were getting, they started to give more attention to the super flyweights and the flyweights with those flyweight cars featuring the four kings of that division, Cuadras, Brunvisay, Estrada, and Chocolatito, really in 2015, 2016, 2017. And of course, by fighting on those Triple G undercards, the super flyweight started getting uh, a lot of attention as well. And it almost culminated in a kind of performance where you have the big rematch in front of a big crowd uh, and finding them getting that payoff with these two stars fighting each other. But it took place during the pandemic. So it was really restricted. It took place in March in 2021, the rematch. Estrada won the fight. Chocolatito felt that he won. But it didn't have that 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 kind of um it didn't have that cherry on top of it being in front of a large crowd with a d big tv platform but now it will it'll be on a matchroom card a big platform on the zone it's one of the biggest cards that to end the year and it'll finally be in front of a huge crowd because um because it's no longer taking place during the confines of the shutdowns of the pandemic so i think it's a culmination not only of their trilogy but of a long history of the super flyweights not getting a lot of attention in 2012, but slowly, little by little, getting that big attention, getting the P big TV dates and large crowds. Yeah, and I got to give a, a hat tip to uh, Tom Loeffler from, from back in those days, like you were mentioning, that gave them that platform. Obviously, I think uh, Brian Valoria, the Hawaiian punch, he was fun to watch, but he got a, he kind of got that tail end of the resurgence and he his you know better days were behind him by that point. I remember... Uh, as I mentioned to you, one of the first times I saw Estrada on TV where I didn't have to go look for like a, a YouTube fight or a clip like uh, with the Chocolatito fight. It's how I watched it was on YouTube. Um, but, you know, Valoria and Estrada was a really good fight. And that was on TV, I think, on a, a Macau undercard uh, for Manny Pacquiao. But just kind of like, you know, not a main event, not a, a co-main or anything like that, but you could actually just watch it. Um, and then with Loeffler bringing those guys in, like you mentioned, uh, we got to see them in action uh, around Robin of sorts and just like the best fighting the best. And now Matchroom has carried that torch. And now, you know, these guys are still fighting at a high level. And like you said, we finally get to see uh, with the crowd, with the, the environment, with the excitement, with the buildup, how it should be. And, uh, you know, there's guys I got to give a hat tip also to, to Cortez. He's another guy. I mean, he made. Um, good on his word, said he's I'm, I'm coming to fight. You know, he brought it to Estrada, and you know, he's a guy that he should get another opportunity. He was a fun watch, and uh, you know, in a busy division, a small action packed division like the Flies and the Superflies, uh, definitely you want to see that type of style a guy that could take a punch, give a punch, and if he goes down, he gets back up, even with a few losses on his record. Didn't have the name coming in, but I think now a lot of people know who he is. Throw him in there with Bam Rodriguez. I didn't exactly. notice until I was looking the records, but Cortez actually handed Bam Rodriguez's September 17 opponent his first loss, Israel Gonzalez. So yep, that's what that they were mentioning. Yeah. 
Yeah, that could be a potential opponent for Bam Rodriguez and Bam Rodriguez to end this note about the super flyweights. That's the heir to the throne. That's going to be the king of the flyweights and the super flyweights in this next generation. So it'll be interesting to see how DAZN and Matrim deal with this next generation of super flyweight talents uh, being you know, led by guys like Bam Rodriguez. Also, this past weekend, we had an exciting heavyweight matchup uh, between Andy Ruiz and Luis Ortiz, uh, two guys that can punch, two guys that have been, you know, at the forefront of the heavyweight division for a little while, especially Ortiz. Uh, It ended up being a unanimous decision victory, a close one for Andy Ruiz, who took the fight uh, 114-111 on two cards and then 113-112. He scored three knockdowns of Luis Ortiz, who now uh, in back-to-back fights has hit the canvas uh, more than once, twice against Charles Martin, which was really surprising, and then now three times against Andy Ruiz. And, you know, I think we see his age is obviously catching up to him. He's 43, so in Cuban years, he's probably like 72. But uh, all jokes aside, he is an older heavyweight, and he's been around the block. I mean, he spent a lot of time, you know, Golden Boy, even with Matchroom, where he was looking for that marquee fight and just never really got it. it wasn't until Deontay Wilder and he joined PBC that he was able to get that fight. was in an two exciting fights, um, you know, high level fights with Deontay Wilder and just couldn't get the victory. And so now, you know, he's, he's really old. You can see his legs are, are not what they used to be. Um, and his punch resistance isn't, but he's got the heart, you know, of a champion and he got up and he did his best to try and box uh, Andy Ruiz, which is definitely the recipe and the style that you need. We saw Anthony Joshua revert to that in their rematch and had success. Uh, we saw Joseph Parker do it when he beat Ruiz. And, you know, I think that with uh, Andy Ruiz, he had his most success when he was active. Uh, I think in CompuBox stats, it was uh, six to five in rounds for Ortiz. And then one round was tied, uh, the fourth, I believe, in terms of punch output. He just is not active enough, especially when you start considering some of the other matchups that could take place in the heavyweight division. So a good victory for him. But, you know, now looking forward, um, you you start to think, okay, if we're sizing up matchups against some of the other top guys in the heavyweight division, how uh, would it go for Ruiz? And, and maybe not well if he's fighting the style that he did last night, where he's like a lot of lulls in the action. Um, because when he lets his hands go, you know, he's definitely got the fastest hands in the heavyweight division. I mean, there's, uh, to me, there's no question, no doubt about that. Um, you just like to see him be more active. And I think even, you know, before when he was, he looked a little heavier and he's like, that that didn't deter him from really letting his hands go and being, you know, bobbing and weaving, getting on the inside. It seems like now uh, maybe he's, I don't know, changing his style a little bit. And so he's gone through obviously a few different trainers. But Gabe, what'd you think about the fight, uh, Andrew Ruiz versus Luis Ortiz, how that went, and then just kind of, um, you know, looking ahead for what could be potentially next for Andy Ruiz. When Andy Ruiz could cut the distance, land some shots, and look dominant, then he was dominant when he had his moments. But there are also many moments where Luis Ortiz would use his very hard, long right jab and control the fight and keep his distance. So the moments where Andy Ruiz was able to, um, you know, land those counter shots and knock Ortiz down, he looked great. But there are too many moments when he wasn't doing enough. And like you mentioned, it's going to be very tough against the other top heavyweights uh, in the division. And also, aside from the fact that he isn't that active in terms of punch output, when he was able to hurt Ortiz and he was trying to come forward and land more shots and try to end the fight, he would pull back too straight and Ortiz would catch him with the straight left hand. So when he has his opponent hurt and he's trying to land shots, he's susceptible to getting countered. 
because a, a, a hurt a hurt fighter is a very dangerous fighter and if you're throwing your shots and trying to finish him while pulling straight back you can get hit with something really hard and get knocked out like i think Ortiz. we saw in the first joshua fight when when ruiz was kind of letting a combination go that's when he got dropped exactly so what does that tell me well as you were saying as well he's going to have a tough time against the top fighters uh, in the division especially against guys who hold the belts now as they were mentioning in the post-fight interview, perhaps he'll be fighting Deontay Wilder if he can get past his next opponent. If that's the case, it's number one, it's hard for him to cut the distance. Number two, it's hard for him um, to stay active enough to land significant punches. And let's say he does hurt Deontay Wilder at some point. He goes in, he looks for the kill, Deontay Wilder lands a wild right hand, and it's over. He cannot risk coming in crazily against someone like Deontay Wilder and then also with Luis Ortiz it's an interesting mix because he's tall and he can box but he's also a southpaw right so it's like all right against a tall fighter he's gonna have some trouble who's very tall who's much taller Tyson Fury against a southpaw he's gonna have some trouble who's a southpaw and has really good um, boxing skills Alexander Usyk so I think he's gonna have a real tough time against the two top heavyweights in the division Usyk and Fury because he's not active enough and he gets a little reckless when he's trying to uh, uh, hurt and finish his opponent. Yeah, there there will be difficulties in trying to capture another title, which is what he said he wants to do. But it doesn't take away from the fact that he's an exciting fighter to watch when he's active, like you mentioned. Um, speaking of activity, not in the fight, but just career activity, he says he wants to fight like three to four times. So, you know, we got guys like Joseph Parker fighting um, Joe Joyce. So, you know, there's other fighters out there. There's you know, Dillian White, you know, guys that could potentially uh, be exciting fights. Now, of course, in-house, uh, if Deontay Wilder does get past Robert Hellenius, like you mentioned, um, which is no gimme. Uh, we haven't seen Wilder back, you know, since the trilogy and Hellenius is on a winning streak. Um, so, you know, depends what happens in, in that fight. But Andy Ruiz does have some exciting prospects and, um, you know, could market himself as you know one of the most exciting you know heavyweights to to see and still get some big victories you know if he's able to get into uh fights like we said with wilder and maybe some of these other guys as well um but outside of you know fury and Usyk is what i'm talking about because those guys need to fight the titles need to find a home and then from there maybe we'll see okay he moves up in the rankings and and can challenge for one of those belts but um it's going to be difficult. Yeah. So, I mean, for anybody, for me, it's always a size when you start thinking about a, a Tyson Fury fight, just because he can fight. He's very fluid. He can fight on the inside. He can obviously box you. And, um, you know, like we mentioned previously, it's not like Joshua who has size, but then has to really make a, a concerted effort to try to even use that size. I feel like Fury just knows that he can do anything regardless of the size, regardless of the distance. And we know that Ruiz is going to want to get inside, cut that distance. Um, and I think maybe he might be able to uh, find some success against Wilder because, you know, Wilder will want to keep him at, at bay at that distance where he can land that big bomb. But I think as long as Ruiz is consistent with his movement, uh, staying off the line and, you know, throws punches and combinations and then either gets out of range or stays in the pocket close. And he can maybe have some success against Wilder. But, you know, again, it remains to be seen. But I think all in all, a good victory for him. Yeah, a good victory. And, and hopefully he can stay active and fight a few more times because yeah, he hadn't fought since May of 2021. So that definitely has to be a factor. And if he can get one or two fights in before the Deontay Wilder fight, then perhaps he can be a little bit more active, not just in terms of how many fights, but how many punches he can throw per round. Thank you for listening to 
the RBR Recap. Make sure to follow us on social media at RBR Recap and visit rbrrecap.com for the latest episodes.